0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: This episode is brought to you by 99designs. If you're looking to get anything designed, I'm talking a website, a logo, a landing page, a book cover, business cards. Why go to one designer when you can get dozens of designers, hundreds of different designs for the same price? Go to 99designs.com slash smart and get a power pack upgrade worth $99 for free. Welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind.
0: I'm Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas.
1: Today we are talking to Joe Navarro. I'm just going to give you the title of his book, What Everybody Is Saying, An Ex-FBI Agent's Guide to Speed Reading People. Now you know you're interested. For 25 years, Joe worked as an FBI special agent in the area of counterintelligence and behavioral assessment. Today, he's one of the world's leading experts on nonverbal communications and body language. In this episode, you'll learn what people truly feel about you by the way they're standing, looking, blinking, grasping, and then you can use it to your advantage.
0: One of the craziest parts about this interview is I went through a training exercise at work where we were focusing on nonverbal cues, nonverbal communication, and then we talked to Joe, and it just blew my mind how deep he was in that
1: oh he lives in this world you know what I thought was fascinating is the face is one of the worst places to look when you're trying to figure out how someone feels I thought that was a really interesting point
0: so we're gonna get into Joe's conversation here in a minute but if you enjoy the show, one of the easiest ways to support the show is head over to iTunes and leave us a review and rating. And if you don't have iTunes, you can do the same thing over at Stitcher.
1: Who doesn't have iTunes?
0: There are a lot of people that are go anti iTunes. iTunes. If you have Windows, you probably hate iTunes because Who uses it is Windows. But it, no, well, I'm just exactly. <laughs> but yeah, if you can go over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave us a rating or leave us a comment. That's one of the easiest ways to support the show. You can let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and we truly, truly appreciate that.
1: Enjoy our interview with Joe Navarro. Joe, thanks so much for being on the show. Really excited to talk to you. It's, it's a subject that is fascinating. Whenever you talk about somebody who has done things that the public doesn't really get to see it's always a treat. So first I was hoping you could kind of help us start from the beginning and, you know, you were, you did counterintelligence for the FBI, but I want to know the story because from what I read, it's kind of fascinating. How did it all start with you?
2: First of all, Chris and John, thanks for, uh, for inviting me. It's a, it's a pleasure. You know, a lot of things happen by accident. I, I had uh, originally thought I was going to go into medic- medicine, and ended up graduating uh, from the university and uh, and being offered uh, a, a job with the FBI. And how do you turn that down? They literally uh, knocked on my door and handed me a uh, an application and said, "We'd like for you to fill this out." And, and and so I did. And actually, you know, the first two and a half years, I I, I spent doing general uh, FBI work, a lot of criminal cases on the. Uh, American Indian reservations along the uh, Colorado River, and then only later, when I was transferred to New York, I, I started to work uh, counterintelligence, and it was a, it was an area uh, of the bureau that I really enjoyed because you can you can fairly much pick do, do I want to work criminal cases or counterintelligence counterespionage. And uh, I sort of lucked into that, and I was fortunate enough to uh, to work that for uh, for about twenty five years.
1: Obviously, the first question that popped up is, why did they knock on your door?
2: To this day, I don't know. <laughs> come on, <laughs> I know I, I really don't. They, you know, they they never told me that somehow my name had come to their attention, and uh, you know, and over time, I I I just uh, made no further inquiries. You know, it's not. It's not the kind of thing you, you you really want to pursue. You're just so grateful and and happy that they did ask, and it was fortunate because I was running out of money in college, and uh, I, I I really couldn't afford to go to graduate school at the time. So it, it worked out really well.
1: I think almost anyone who's ever gone to college can say they were running out of money. <laughs> so I could, <laughs> well you know. well
2: when I when I say I was running out of money, I. I think I had about seventeen dollars left. Oh, so
1: you, and
2: that's the, and that's the truth.
1: So you were you were pretty much at the at the bottom there.
2: <laughs> I, I I was I was I, I come from a very humble family and uh, we just didn't have much.
1: No, well that's what that that's what makes it so interesting. And I did read that they kind of approached you, and I wanted to hear mm-hmm. it straight from your mouth how that all happened. But so then you you went into this counterintelligence. And I know with your book, what everybody is saying, we're going to talk about nonverbal behavior and how to read those cues, but let's, let's kind of talk more first about what that means and what you did and who the type of people you were dealing with and ultimately what your service was for the FBI and, and for the nation.
2: Well, that's uh that's a lot, but uh, I guess the best way to start is, you know, I, I came to this country as uh, as an immigrant and, uh, it, you know, when you when you come to a country, and you don't speak the language. You you really uh, you have to speak this lingua franca that we have called uh, body language or nonverbals. And uh, my mother told me early on that that for whatever reason, I, I was very acute at uh, picking up on the body language of other people. And uh, and certainly by the time I was in the bureau, I definitely saw that. You know, 90 percent of what we did was communicating with people, interpreting behavior, uh, examining behavior and so forth. And so I delved uh, further into it. Unfortunately, at the time, you know, this is the late 70s. There weren't a lot of books on body language. Um, There weren't a lot of college courses. There wasn't a lot of material out there. Um, so in a way, the the bureau provided a, a sort of perfect laboratory to see, uh, you know, if I see this behavior, does it really mean what I what I think it does, and so forth? Because you got to stop and ask people, you know, what are you up to, and so forth. And uh, and over time, I I sort of developed a, a, uh, a my my own sort of personal expertise, but then people would come to me within the bureau. And uh, there weren't even videos back then. They would show me uh, 16 millimeter uh, surveillance of this or that, or some other or a photograph, and I began to anal- analyze it as as best I could. And then, about 1990, I had already uh, been in the criminal profiling program, working uh, to help with criminal cases. The uh, the bureau created a very elite program called the Behavioral Analysis Program. It was classified at the time. It's no longer classified. And there were six of us in there. And my my job principally was to uh, decode uh, the behavior of, of spies and uh, and terrorists.
1: So spies as in people in the U.S. that were spying on us from other countries?
2: Uh, people who came yeah, we call them intelligence officers, people who came here to spy for their country. Gotcha. People who came here uh, both officially or uh, as what we call um, uh, illegals, intelligence illegals. So they they, for instance, would go to a foreign country, uh, get false documents and then enter the United States, yeah. uh, not as a diplomat, but pretending to be something else. Or uh, as a um, some other cover, such as uh, pretending to be a business person when, in fact, uh, they're, they're trying to steal the secrets from, uh, uh, let's say, Boeing or, or one of the other aircraft manufacturers.
1: Oh, uh, okay. I see. It's funny because as you talk about it, the only idea I have of this, type, this whole world is stuff I see on TV, and I wonder – how much of it's true? You know, I think like CSI or whatever, where they they go interview this serial killer and really they're just profiling and reading them. Is that mm-hmm. is there I mean, that's what you did. Is there a lot of truth to that?
2: Well, I have to say what I did was far better than television. Uh, wow. I, I mean, television doesn't even come close. In, in a way, television can concentrate a lot of things in a short period of time and in, and in many ways. Television presents really bogus situations that uh, that are just outlandish and yet a lot of the cases we work were, were far more uh, far more interesting but they would take too long for television to uh, <laughs> to uh, to show because you know they some some cases took eight nine years to uh, to work and you, you just can't do that on on television but you know would we interview somebody just for the sake of determining how to interview this person in the future in other words we talk to this person just just so we can learn how we we would talk to this person how what you know how we would sit with them what cadence we would use what person would do the interview Uh, that kind of sort of assessment um, yeah we did that um, and that would help later on, so that when we only have a few minutes to deal with this person and we have to confront them with some issue, we can be far more effective and in, in a uh, in a quicker way
1: i 'm curious as to when you first started doing this was there because you mentioned it was a long time ago there wasn 't a lot of research out there on this subject mm-hmm. did they and when I say they the FBI have a lot of formal training that they could take you through, or was it here are the basics? we want you to become the expert and almost report back to us and start this program.
2: Well, I have to say early on in the in the seventies, there was a lot of junk out there about body language. There were a lot of myths that if you touched your nose, if you covered your mouth while you answered you were you were lying. If you looked up and to the left or down and to the right, you were being deceptive.
1: <laughs> I know those. <laughs> I,
2: I, mean, I, I mean, it was just total garbage. It was, it was just incredible how much junk was out there that was not supported by science. And what you would have is instructors who would come in and show you a, a movie of, of an individual who did that. While they were lying and so forth, but they never showed you the honest person doing the same behavior just because they're stressed by the fact that they're being interviewed by two men in a small room or or something like that. So it wasn't very, very uh, scientific where I was fortunate was that when I came into the uh, behavioral program. We were basically given three years to educate ourselves, and we could hire anybody in the world to come and teach us, and uh, and we did. Wow.
1: So who, who did you look after to do that? Was it mostly academics that had an idea of how the brain and body works?
2: Yeah, so we hired people like Paul Ackman, Joe Coolis out of Chicago, uh, Judy Bergun, uh Bella DePaolo, David Givens. We could hire anybody to 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 teach us because we didn't have a lot of time. we couldn't We couldn't put a semester of classwork together. We had to have these people come in and teach us in two or three days. But what we were able to do is create a cadre of decentralized information which we could then share with other agents and we could teach it to to other people with within the bureau. And, and obviously, university courses don't always parlay or transfer easily into what we do because we look at, well, how do we use this effectively to achieve our mission where a lot of university courses are just, well, here's the theory of how the brain evolved and why we have a limbic system and why we react this way and so forth. But we have to apply it and we have to apply it in real time and in, and in situations where I find myself where um lives were in jeopardy or grave harm would come to the united states so there was no playing around there was no time for committee there was no debate there wasn't any opportunity to present papers to it it either worked or it didn't work and uh and we had to move forward
1: i can't even imagine the pressures and the stress but i'm glad that you can and did it because you know i would fold in that situation but I know when talking about these types of things, there's always, the, there's always plenty of information we can't talk about. But mm-hmm. when it gets into stories, people can really feel and understand what you were doing through this story. So I was wondering mm-hmm. how we can broach this subject in a real-life story that doesn't uh, breach the, the, sure. the, the gap of what you're allowed to say.
2: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give I'll give you an example of how we use uh, nonverbals in a uh, in an espionage case. We had a we had a case where um, an individual was arrested in Germany for uh, spying against the United States. We didn't know much about him. We didn't know who knew him. We didn't know if there were other people involved. And uh, worldwide, they requested that we interview anybody that uh, may have lived or worked near this guy. And, you know, obviously there were thousands of people. And, you know, most people said, oh, I don't know him or I may have seen him, but I don't remember. But I I was assigned to go talk to one individual. And uh, while talking to him about life in Germany and and what it had been like as an American soldier, I mentioned this this, uh, fellow that had been arrested, his name, and just when I mentioned his name, his cigarette, he was smoking, his cigarette shook in his hand ever so slightly. So I talked about other things, and then I came back to uh, him again and, and mentioned the name one more time. And once again, his cigarette shook. And, uh, and I was able to test this uh, three times. Now, there's nothing in the literature about a shaking cigarette, but we uh, initiated an investigation just based on that because the name of that individual caused uh, the person I was talking to some sort of psychological distress. Mm. Well, uh, within about five interviews, the the fellow confessed, and he said that he had actually been cooperating with him and had assisted in espionage. So here here was a case where it had nothing to do with uh, deception. We were just going out, doing our job, trying to talk to people. But his reaction... Uh, almost like a, a polygraph needle that cigarette shook and it let us know that there was something really hyper negative about just the mention of the name and so you know here's something that most people don't realize is that not all words have the same weight and this is something that researchers hardly ever even mention or talk about and the fact that if you are talking to somebody as i did early in my career who had uh killed someone with an ice pick words like knife butcher knife gun shotgun they just don't uh, they don't cause any kind of reaction in the person but the minute you mention that keyword which is which has a lot of weight which is the precise instrument of death which was an ice pick this this person as i was talking to him all of a sudden he just bowed his head and his chin began to uh, to shake, and I and I said, you know, just get it off your chest. And and he confessed. So it's you know it's the application of what we observe into uh, an investigation, and that's where researchers and academia lacked uh, way behind us. And in fact, a, a lot of the research still focuses on emotions. You often see uh, uh, articles about uh, micro-expressions or, gosh, we can read that sadness is the same here as it is in, uh, in Brazil. Well, congratulations. We've known that for uh, about 100 years. Uh, certainly uh, Shakespeare knew it. Uh, let's move on. And we focus on little things that obviously researchers didn't have the time to, uh, to, to research
1: so would you say it's more the ability to be extremely perceptive and then draw conclusions as you go, as opposed to a set of fairly hard, fast rules that you are looking for while going through these interviews?
2: Yeah, I think I think that's fairly accurate. We don't know what we're going to find. We're... I... You know, you were mentioning the book, What Everybody Is Saying. And there's uh, there's the story I tell in there about talking to uh, going to see a woman whose son was uh, suspected in the shooting of a uh, of a police officer. And we were just standing outside her house and uh, asking her if she'd heard from her son. And she kept saying no and so forth. My partner wanted to leave. And just on a whim, I, I I said, "Well, is it possible that your son is sneaking into the house and just hiding in the house w- without you even knowing since you're gone for about eight hours a day and uh, and all of a sudden you I saw her covering her neck with her hand. so then i I talked about a few other things, and then when I mentioned uh, you know about that possibility again, sure enough, that hand came up and covered her neck. Well, I know that neck covering is one of the most accurate behaviors out there that uh, lets us know when someone is uh, is having some real issues, is troubled, is worried, and so forth. And uh, equating those two things together, the covering of the neck and is your son hiding in the house. So finally I said, look, just so we don't have to come back again, do you mind if we just look inside? And she said, come, well, come on in so she signed a waiver we we went inside and sure enough her son was hiding in a closet almost like ET in the movie with some things on top of himself <laughs> um but I'll tell you it was scary because right under him was a 38 revolver and uh, wow. he certainly could have shot us uh, both but but the, the fact that she covered her neck uh just communicated something to me that that there was an issue there, and, uh, and we pursued it. So, you know, if you were to ask me, what's, all, what's this all about? It's about making observations, drawing inferences from them, and it's really very simple. There's either comfort or discomfort, and if there's discomfort, then why? And then pursuing it.
0: So this sounds like one of those superpowers that somebody's, like, cursed to have, I mean, are you able to to shut this down? Like, you know, when you go to a dinner party or you're out with friends, do they just go, "Oh no, Joe's gonna sit there and read me"? I mean, are you able to shut that down, or are you constantly deducing things from people's nonverbal actions?
2: Well, that's a great question. And as my as my daughter used to do when she'd say, "Let's have a talk," she would uh, put on sunglasses and, and, hide, <laughs> and hide behind a, a beach towel to be honest no you you, you cannot turn it off w- what what I try to do is not become too inquisitive, but you're sitting at a party and and you know which couples are struggling you know who's having a tough time you know who's having a good time you know who's faking wow. um, you you know you 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 see the people that you know, touch each other's hands with their fingertips, but their hips won't go anywhere near each other. You know, there's issues there. Um, Somebody comes into the room, and you notice that uh, the lady next to you smiles, but as she does so, her feet turn uh, slightly at an angle away. So, you know, they don't like each other. And you don't, you know, you don't act on it, but you, if somebody said, break down this room for me, uh yeah, y- you can break it down. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that difficult.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I can imagine that if you're having a dinner party at your house and you're sitting there and you're like, wow, I really think uh, Kathy is cheating on Tim over here. And, <laughs> you know, like I'm sure that you're able to deduce these things. And then, like you said, you're not going to act on it. But that's just got to eat away at you to have all this information and not be able to just go – Hey Tim, guess what, buddy? Yeah, and you have to lose a lot of friends
2: now. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody wants to go out with me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's it's great when they want me for children's parties. They, they you know they want me to do this magical stuff. So, no, you know, it, in some ways it. Uh, you know, I, I'm reminded of um, that uh, Sherlock Holmes, when he was asked, what What do you see? And he says everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and sometimes it, it is painful because uh, you see children who are m- maltreated. You you certainly see couples that uh, they're having trouble. And, uh, you know, obviously you care for them and, and you hate to see them, that there's already divisions. Uh, I mean, one of the th- there's a. Uh, there's two things uh, that sort of stand out. I, I mean, I, I was on a on a cruise with a couple, and somebody said at the table, "Hey, let's do this again next year." And um, my friend's uh, wife at the time, uh, she clutched her um, her necklace with a fist, and uh, right then I knew that uh, that there was some issue there. And, mm-hmm. and sure enough, uh, she divorced them six months later. Those things hurt. But it it certainly gives you an advantage when you can read people and you can fit in and you can get along and you can be empathetic and you can be helpful and and communicate more effectively, which is, you know, principally how this this stuff is uh, really used.
1: And now it's time for our awesome sponsors who support Smart People Podcast. 99 Designs is the best way to get any of your design needs met.
0: At Smart People Podcast, we launched a design contest around getting laptop stickers made, and it was so simple. We created a design contest, told people what we wanted, and we posted that to 99designs. After that, a lot of designers saw our brief out there and started competing for our work. They started posting logos. I was on there pretty much every day just talking to these designers saying, Hey, can you tweak this? Can you tweak that? And usually that would cost you an arm and a leg with a normal designer. I mean, you're going to pay per hour on that.
1: Well, and the cool part is we didn't really know exactly what we wanted designed. So we just sent out an idea and saw what people who do this for a living came back with.
0: Yeah. And we were able to choose our favorite five or six designs, select them as finalists, And then run another round where these finalists even created more awesome designs. What I
1: find amazing is you have dozens of designers spending a lot of time and only one wins in the end, which is the beauty of contests.
0: Yeah, and we received over 140 designs, so it made it really hard to choose which one we wanted. Put it this way, we got to see a lot of different monkeys. 99 Designs is a fantastic sponsor of the show. So if you guys want to support us, please support 99 Designs because they've gotten behind this show.
1: And in order to do that, you have to go to 99designs.com slash smart. You'll also get a power
0: pack upgrade for free. And that power pack's awesome. Not only do they bold your contest, but you're highlighted with a prominent background and you're placed above all the other regular listings. So there are just tons of designers out there that can see your design contest.
1: So make sure you go to 99designs.com slash smart to get a $99 power pack of services for free today. This episode is brought to you by Personal Capital. John, how many iPhone apps do you think you've downloaded since you've had your phone? Over 200 easily. How many of those do you think have actually made you money? I would say zero. Well, that was until you used personal capital. Personal capital allows you to put all of your bank accounts, 401k, retirement accounts, all in one screen. You need one password to access it, and you can get a full idea of what's going on in your financial world, if you will. And additionally, you're probably paying somebody to monitor all those different investments you have going on. With personal capital, you keep it all in one place. You know how much it costs. Definitely, I'd say a good financial investment.
0: I was messing around on personal capital the other day and discovered that three of my credit cards, I was paying annual fees and just ridiculous fees that I didn't need to be paying for. Personal capital let me know. I switched my balances over to credit cards that I didn't have to pay fees on. And now I'm saving money on that too. How awesome is that?
1: You know what I didn't know is the fees that were being paid through my retirement account just to manage things. So I went, I I took it out of my 401k, moved into a Roth. Now I can monitor all that right there on the personal capital screen. Pretty impressive stuff.
0: Yeah. And you get all your assets on one screen. I think that's one of the most important parts. You get the entire snapshot of your financial world.
1: The whole point is, why are you not using Personal Capital, especially considering it's free? To set up your free account, go to personalcapital.com slash smart people.
0: Personal Capital is free and the smart way to grow your money. Again, go to personalcapital.com slash smart people for your free account.
1: Yeah, and I want to go back to something you said earlier, because it, it seemed kind of what is at the base of much of your work. And you said it's determining if an action means there is comfort versus discomfort. Is that what you would consider the 101 of reading nonverbal cues? Is There is an action, and then does that mean it has a positive implication versus a negative implication?
2: Well, I think that's that's a fairly fairly good way to look at it. You know, when I came into uh, to study nonverbals, I, I had all these books and all this material that was given to me by these researchers. And, and I just couldn't believe this is how they teach this stuff. I mean, it, it was just daunting. And, and, and when you break humans down, The minute we're born, we're communicating non-verbally if we're comfortable or uncomfortable. We're either warm or cold. We're either, you know, our our bellies are full or we need to, uh, you know, suckle a little longer. We're very binary. And once you understand that humans are very binary, we're either contented or we're, we're not. Then you realize, okay, well, what are the behaviors that are associated with that? And you get a pretty quick view, a very accurate view of what are we looking for? Well, what we're looking for are behaviors that say everything's okay, or I said something, or they said something, and then I see some displays of psychological discomfort. Now, what caused that? Was it me? Was it the subject? I mean, just look at people around you somebody says a joke that really shouldn't be told in public and you see people just leaning away. Okay, well, that's psychological discomfort. Uh, Somebody says something about the clothes you wear and maybe you squint a little psychological discomfort. We don't need to hear what you say. You're shouting it with your with your with your body. And it's extremely accurate and it's actually faster than you could uh, possibly mouth it. So it's it's universal. We have the the same behaviors of comfort and discomfort, and emotions are universal. We see them around the planet, and um, it's very, very easy to um, to interpret. but the the fault that existed out there was how was it taught? And it was taught in such a bizarre way when when really, in many ways, humans are are, are very simple in what, uh, what we communicate to each other.
1: On this same topic, I know you discuss it a little bit in the book, but I'm sure you know just a ton on the subject of the science behind it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I read a little bit what you mentioned about the limbic system. I was hoping you yeah. could give us a better explanation or give our listeners who are unaware the explanation of what is the science behind our nonverbal communication?
2: Sure. So we, you know, most people think, oh, the whole brain thinks. Well, that's not actually accurate. Uh, there's, a, there's a part of our brain that actually just reacts to the world around us. And it's, it's quite exquisite and quite elegant in its ability to analyze the world very quickly and to react to it. And, you know, from early on, we, we evolved to react quickly to things. So if, if somebody puts a snake in front of us, had we evolved to sit there and ponder whether it was a nice snake or an ill-tempered one, we would have died out as a species. The limbic system reacts to that snake, and it tells us to either freeze in place or to distance ourselves and to run or to kick it. And, you know, when you think about what's mankind's been number one predator, the number one predator, even in parts of Africa and India to this day, are still the large felines, large, large lions, large tigers and so forth. And so our first reaction to anything negative from our limbic system was to first freeze because uh, felines, as many mammals also orient on movement so we froze first and you you often see this you'll see a a video of somebody crossing a street and a car's coming at high speed and you say why did they just freeze in that place why didn't they run and it's because the limbic system is so hardwired it's evolved over such time that told us when there's a threat out there just freeze first so you can observe it it hopefully will ignore you since you're not moving And um, and hopefully that'll give you time to then uh, move away from it. But we communicate that to each other because it was essential that if you saw a large lion in the distance and you stopped, that the rest of us who were hanging around with you, we didn't have to see that lion. All we had to do was look at you. And if you froze, we would freeze. And that contributed to our survival. So by not moving, and then, you know, as, as we often see when there's a tragedy, you see people immediately cover their mouths. You, on 9-11 is, you know, people were either covering their necks or covering their mouths at the horror. Well, why do we do that? When you think about how we evolved and, you know, large cats orient on movement and they listen for breathing. And so we evolved to cover our mouths. And we still have this 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 reflex. So you see these negative behaviors, the freeze response, distancing or uh facial expressions that say, you know, I'm uncomfortable with this. And it was it was it was put there so that we could communicate to others. Hey, there's an issue here.
1: That is really fascinating stuff because there have been times when I've been stressed out for a long period of time Mm -hmm. and I've always heard of, um, you know, fight or flight, right? It it tends to get pared down to fight or flight, but then learned it's actually fight, flight or freeze. And the times when I'm the most stressed out for a long period of time, I tend to be uh, less likely to take any action, whether anything, right? I I just tend to be more stiff and Mm -hmm. rigid. and, And eventually I learned, I think that was my natural Response like continual response to that fear
2: yeah and actually yeah freeze or flight is uh or fight or flight is actually wrong because if it was really that way we we would be exhausted and bruised most of the time we we evolved to freeze first so that predators wouldn't notice us to flight second so that we could uh distance ourselves from it and then fight last um, and, and some would argue also that, that there's other F's in there, uh, including fainting. Uh, we know that, um, some people will actually faint,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: when confronted with a, uh, with a threat and that actually contributes to, uh, to, uh, to their survival. So, so these are mechanisms for, uh, or reactions that the limbic brain has for us, but we also have displays of how we feel about things. And obviously it was important to display these things. We either liked food or or we didn't. We either liked the temperature or or, or we didn't. And we communicated that nonverbally early on because uh, we couldn't speak, you know, as as babies and, and prior to that, um, you know, as we evolved, you know, there was just no no speech. It was mostly uh nonverbals.
1: Now, you know, you mentioned the things earlier when we were talking about the dinner party. And Mm -hmm. I know that was a a meat of this interview that I really wanted to talk about was this is a a short form medium. Obviously, people will will link to the book and, and I highly recommend it. And people will be interested in learning about this for a number of reasons. But in this short time we have, I was wondering what are some of the key things that people can take away To help them, look, it's not going to help them determine who's a spy in their neighborhood, but to help them in their communication, uh, in their lives with their loved ones, maybe to be more perceptive. What are those common tells?
2: Well, the first thing we, we look at is not so much a tell, but you know, how sensitive we are to space. Um, one of the things that, that I always tell people is be aware of our spatial needs um if If I asked you, have you ever had anybody violate your space? Everybody raises their hand. so the first thing I say is be aware of space, and that when we invade people 's space, we make them very uncomfortable. Now, we can do that physically or we can do it with our our eyes. You can talk to any woman, and she'll tell you that there's been times when somebody looked at her, usually a man. Uh, too intently, and it made them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So we can we can make people uncomfortable by by that, or we can make them comfortable by giving them enough space and by uh, not looking at them uh, too intently. Um, how we stand in front of people, for instance, most people think they should stand directly in front of each other, and actually, you should stand at slight angles to each other. That promotes longer time together because this, uh, face to face, very direct posturing is, is very primate like, and, uh, and we actually shorten the amount of time we want to be with people when we stand directly in front of them. So if if we want to develop a relationship, uh, and certainly that applies at home or at business, you want to angle a little bit. And then it's just a matter of reading each other to see is this person uh, you know interested or do they have issues are they comfortable what would contribute to to making them comfortable and so forth and our you know our faces and our bodies reveal this comfort and and you can do something very easily just uh, watch a movie Watch any movie, let's say, with Marlon Brando and just turn off the sound. You'll be able to enjoy the whole movie without ever uh, having to listen to a word he has to say because his nonverbals are just exquisite in what they're communicating as to what's going on in his mind.
1: This question is a little self-serving, but (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how can I understand my wife a little bit better without having to ask her are you
0: okay? Do you is this okay? <laughs> are you mad at me, Chris? Joe only has like five more minutes here.
2: <laughs> I mean, I feel well, like you no, could, that's you a know. valid that's a valid question because couples uh, couples begin to take shortcuts and uh, and sometimes they communicate things that are mis- misunderstood. I, I think the easiest thing is to. You know, sit down with your your spouse or your loved one and not in front of them, but next to them so there's less tension and just say, all right, let's just talk. Let's, you know, I noticed the other day when I mentioned buying a car or making this investment in a product or whatever, uh, I noticed that you compress your lips. Do you think that's going to be a problem? Would that be an issue? And, you know, you, you just get people to open up and communicate. And, uh, and that's often hard. You know, nonverbals don't replace verbals. <laughs> they, they enhance it and they give you a cue to say, OK, today we got to talk because when I mention this or going to that party, I sense reticence or issues. Let's just talk about it. And, and that's really what nonverbals are, are about. And they also help to catch spies.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Are, Are there any areas of the body that tell more than others?
2: Well, I would, you know, from the minute we're young children, we're always taught to hide our faces, to not reveal how we feel. Our parents say, don't make that face. And so we, we develop these social faces that have social contracts. The, the, our feet actually are the most accurate part of the body. They, they don't have a social contract. If you're uncomfortable around a person... You may look at them, but your feet will move you automatically away from that person. And uh, so what I tell people is look at the whole body. Uh, I know that micro expressions is really trendy. And, you know, people are just over the top over this. But when I say, you know what about the thumbs what happens when somebody hides their thumbs what does that mean and they just look at you sort of nonplussed. and i said you have to read the whole body and every aspect of the body will communicate everything from the knees to the feet to the shoulders to the skin it's all communicating to you it's just a matter of reading it and interpreting it and uh, and using it
1: yeah, easier said than done. When you've been doing it for thirty years.
0: <laughs> well,
2: yeah, it helped, I mean, it helped, It does help that I've read over three hundred books just on that 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 subject. But but I'll tell you what, I, I, you know, I'm learning every day. I uh, I'm still learning every day.
1: I love that. And so, th- all this stuff you cover, as we mentioned in detail in your last book, what everybody is saying. But I I wanted to, I I noticed on your site that you have another book coming out soon called Dangerous Personalities, which looks really, you know, it it looks so interesting because it is, I don't want to say, well, it is shocking what you discuss in there, or at least what I believe you're going to discuss. But it's, again, things that we should know and don't. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, actually, Dangerous Personalities is the one that I wanted to write first. Uh, but I couldn't get a publisher to to, uh, to publish it. I've been wanting to write this for a very long time. And one of the things that I found as both a criminal profiler and uh, being in the behavioral program was that over and over, the people that causes the most danger, the most harm, is really based around four personality types. And I don't want to give everything away, but these four personality types cause the most crime, cause the most, uh, you know, injuries to, to children and to couples and, and, and so forth. And I wanted to write about it so that it would be easy for the average person to understand without having to call up a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a police officer. It would be a guide. It would be like a field guide for the average person who is, uh, associating with somebody meeting somebody or dealing with someone and say you know what i'm seeing these uh, these behavioral traits it's all based on behavior and this is beginning to say something to me but i'm not sure what it is and by looking at those behaviors we can say you know if you continue to associate with this person you know they're going to irritate you and they're going to cause you a lot of stress but if they have these additional behaviors they may actually harm you physically, emotionally, psychologically, or financially. And and that's what I wanted to share with, uh, with the public. And finally, finally, after more than 15 years, it, uh, it, it comes out October the 8th. And, uh, and I'm very happy for this.
0: I'm excited to see that one out in action. All I could think about, you mentioned that this is the one that you wanted to write first, where you have those movie directors and producers that have to do the blockbuster first to be able to make their passion movie. So congratulations on uh, getting this one out there. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it.
2: Well, I'm looking forward to it too, because it, you know, nonverbals was my sharing of, of, of knowledge. Dangerous personalities is really to save lives. And uh, and so it's it's a more purposeful um, uh, work, and, and I and I think it will be most helpful for people in that way. It's not just a matter of curiosity. It's it's really to to keep people safe and and uh, save lives.
1: You know, Joe, I just realized there was something I wanted to ask you uh, mm-hmm. earlier, and if I got off the conversation without doing this, I'd be mad at myself. But it, as I was reading about your book, I kept noticing it was talking about speed reading humans, hmm. speed reading behaviors. Now, I was wondering yeah. what the what your motivation behind utilizing or using that description was, the speed read aspect.
2: Well, there were two things. One is uh, back in the 60s or se- early 70s, but I think it was in the 60s, Bill Cosby, who had a, has a, a degree in education, uh, did an article about how to speed read through a book. And, and in a certain way, one of the things I found in researching is that we, uh, we are actually more accurate when we speed-read people than if we sort of overanalyze, that our subconscious picks up on little things that people do, and this tends to be extremely accurate. And In fact, researchers um, have found that this is very accurate, that in as little as a fourth of a second, we are fairly accurate somewhere between 75 and 80 percent of the time in assessing for agreeableness, issues, things like that. And so I wrote, you know, I wrote about speed reading people because, uh, you know, I I didn't want to go the academic route of, well, let's, let's tear this apart until we're bored with it. My philosophy is, you know life is moves very fast, and you have to make decisions in one or two seconds how do you How do you speed read a person so that then you can uh, use that information?
1: Mm. No, it makes a lot of sense, and it actually reminds me of there's a lot of times when I meet people and instantly either have an attraction to them not in any weird way but just Mm -hmm. this is somebody i want to converse with or i'm comfortable with and want to stand near and then there's other times where it's blatantly obvious internally that i just don't vibe with this person is there a science behind that that you've studied or learned or is that just me being weird
2: no, I, I, th- I think you're onto something there. In fact, this is what uh, Gavin de Becker's book, The Gift of Fear, uh, back in the 80s, was, was about, that our brain at a subconscious level, our limbic system assesses other people and it senses things much faster, much quicker than our neocortex or thinking brain, and that we must not ignore that. Um, that we must pay attention to it. And if someone makes you uncomfortable, if there's something, if, you know, there's there's a saying, always listen, never ignore the the hairs on the back of your neck. Mm. If those hairs are standing up, if your heart is moving, if you find your, your feet are moving away from this person, um, there's something to that. And it's being picked up at a very quick rate by the subconscious brain which is really responsible for uh, your safety. So uh, you just have to pay attention to it.
1: Yeah, I think the moral of the story in all of this is it's time to truly listen to more than just what's being spoken.
2: Exactly. You know, uh, And we can become better observers. That, that, that is the one thing that I've learned and I've taught myself and I've tried to teach other people is we can become better observers. And, and the question then is, well, what do we do with that? we become better communicators, Mm. we become more effective, and we can uh, be more influential.
1: Absolutely. Well, Joe, thank you so much for being on the show. As we mentioned, the book that we've kind of been discussing is What Everybody is Saying, and then looking forward to the next one coming out, Dangerous Personalities. I was wondering if there's anywhere you would like to direct listeners who are interested in what you write and the topics that we've discussed on the show.
2: Well, thank you. That's uh, very kind. They can follow me on Twitter at uh, Navarro Tells, or uh, they can go to my website at Joe and uh, my books are there. They can, uh, if they write me, they uh, they can get a free bibliography on nonverbal communications. It's uh, fairly uh, robust. It's about uh, nine single single lined uh, pages. Uh, so if they're interested in the, in nonverbal communications, that's, uh, that's something that, uh, I give away for free and it's, uh, and this, it's the stuff I base all my research on.
1: I love it. Well, Joe, again, thank you so much for sharing a lifetime of knowledge and, and, uh, look forward to the new book coming out.
2: Well, thank you. I, uh, I'm i looking forward uh, to uh, to having it out uh, because I, I, I think it, it will help people. And I, I really appreciate this uh, opportunity to uh, speak with both uh, uh, Chris and John. Thank you.
1: Absolutely, Joe. All right. Thanks so much. Have a great night. All right. Thank you.
0: All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that titillating conversation. Titillating. Titillating.
1: I like I that. that. People
0: ask it. Yeah, you should use it. People ask us to use better adjectives. Titillating. Titillating is a good one. I love it. But I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joe. I know I got a lot out of it and I'm going to keep trying to read uh, Chris over here who's got his legs crossed to me. I know he feels very comfortable around me. What do you think you that know, finger he, stands for? He, he's showing me a certain finger <laughs> and now I think he's upset with me or something, but not too sure.
1: Check out smartpeoplepodcast.com. Shoot us an email. Converse, we love it. Respond to your emails. And we have already recorded the episode for next week. It is an interesting one. I hope you will subscribe and tune in. Be sure not to miss it.
0: And now that this show is over, don't forget to check out our amazing sponsors. You can check out 99designs at 99designs.com slash smart and personal capital at personalcapital.com slash smart people.